that's just a, that's a simple, uh, culturally relevant slash easy way to say that's an idol, but it's also bad for you. Well, that's all idols. Sometimes you just can't articulate them in a negative way that you can drugs. All idols are bad for you because they take your attention and your spiritual health at minimum uh, at, in, in captivity. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. I'm excited because the Life Group Leader me is almost here and it's really coming up. Oh, it's coming up. It's coming the 28th? No. 28? 23rd? Yeah. 20, 23rd. Well, Pastor Evan is excited and so is Pastor Hayden. We're so excited. And here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We exist to get excited about making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's right. And we're excited to reach people for Christ. We're excited to teach people to be like Christ. And we are excited to train people like you to serve Christ. And everything that we do here at Compass is not based on that excitement, is based on the fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. And because of that, we're excited. Amen. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, you just got done preaching two messages on this, uh, continuing our series, People and Promises, and your sermon title was Exiled from God, where it's based on Matthew 1, 7 through 11, talking about the kings from Rehoboam all the way to Jeconiah and to the time of the deportation to Babylon. I just really don't want to say No, that's good. That was fair. Yeah. Next week is going to be really hard. (laughs) Yeah, because of obscurity. For oh, sure. Man. Pray for me. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, the main thrust as we studied the line of Judah, um, their royal genealogy, it should remind us of our need to rely on God's promises, leading us to properly worship him as we await our final vindication. As to kind of help our life group leaders, if there's any if there's one thing we can walk away from with this sermon to tell our life groups, what would you want us to tell them? Really, I mean, it's it's been hard to uh, separate each of these weeks so much in 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 light of these points. Uh, you're hearing a lot about trusting God's promises, trusting God's promises. Well, that is all of the the genealogy uh, is is God has promised to bring uh, a king, a forever king, under the throne of David, uh, and He's doing that. So each of these weeks is about trusting in God's covenant promises. And you can continue articulating that in your group and, and drawing the line of God's covenant problems, promises and how they're connected to Jesus. I mean, that's how I believe that we're going to win souls uh, through this sermon series, because people just don't see the connection to Christ so often. And as you're studying this, and like I've been studying this, you're, you're, you're left with how in the world could we not connect Christ to this. It's very plain in Scripture. It's very plain as you're reading through the Old Testament, especially through the kings and the divided kingdom and the prophets um, and the exiles. It's like, wow, this is obviously directly pointing to Christ, the coming king. And uh, yeah, I mean, and honestly, that's the issue with the Jews at the point at this moment. It's the same problem that we just have to point them to how this all connects to Jesus Christ, which is what Matthew's doing, which is what we should do. So if you do that with your life group, uh, and I don't know, we want to talk about eliminating idols, it's so good, patiently awaiting future vindication, so good. But all of that has to begin with, do you really understand the promise of God in Christ? All right, well, Pastor Hayden, your first point was for us to fully trust in God's covenant promise. I guess my first question is, what does it mean to fully trust? Yeah, we use that word, fully trust, often, and I put it in there 
to uh, to uh, draw a distinction between people who say, ah, I trust, I trust in God, you know, because we always tell, try to tell people who say things like, yeah, well, I'm, I need to fully trust, or I need to, I need to fully commit. It's like, well, is trusting in its most pure term, is that not just full trust? And if I'm committing to God, can I do that half-heartedly? Well, no. But I put fully trust in this just so people, as they're looking at the point that who think in those terms would look and say, well, I, I tr- trust, but do I do I fully trust in that? So it gets people thinking, man, full trust? I mean, that's a whole life, wholehearted commitment to Christ. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's why we say to fully trust, because it's not just a half-hearted trust. It's not a mental ascent to knowledge. It's a it's a trusting in Him and and placing my the fullness of my life within the bounds of God's covenant promise. And that kind of leads me to another question: is based on your when you explained and actually helpfully so the bilateral covenants in the Bible and the unilateral covenants in the Bible, and essentially what makes these covenant you know what makes this important for us now and even more: how do we live for God even if it's a unilateral covenant? covenant? Yeah, I know this was helpful. It was helpful for me, and I hope that it was helpful for you. Uh, and I know after I answer this, it leaves other questions like why live for God if it's unilateral, if it's if, if it's not bilateral, there's nothing at stake. But, I mean, that's a completely foolish way to think about covenants at, anyway. But uh, what makes it important now, because to understand uh, the distinction between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant, uh, the Mosaic Covenant had, had within it a lot of, of laws, and they were there were moral laws, there were uh, sacrificial laws, and then there were civil laws. And within those, uh, there was expectations that the people of Israel would follow them, and if they did, they'd be blessed. If they didn't, they'd be cursed by God. Now, in the unilateral covenant, the covenant to us in Christ is, though you failed... Christ is the answer, right? Not that, hey, you failed, you need to do better so that so that Christ can save you. It's, you know, you failed, you've already failed. There is no covenant c- commitment keeping on your part in the, in the new covenant as far as your salvation goes. Now, within that bilateral covenant, there are some things called moral laws. And those moral laws ha- have always been and always will be a part of the existence of our world in the existence of the Christian faith. And so why I bring that up is because, okay, if we're no longer under a bilateral Mosaic covenant, does it matter if we follow the laws of God? And the, even though that we are in the covenant of the unilateral covenant of God in Christ, doesn't make the Mosaic covenant in its moral laws obsolete in our life. As a matter of fact, that's what Christ said he came to do, is to fulfill those laws, and particularly he jumps into the moral laws through the the Sermon on the Mount. And so at least I I want us to see that just because we're in a unilateral covenant relationship with God doesn't doesn't negate the moral laws of God in our life, even though the moral laws were part of the bilateral uh, Mosaic covenant. Uh, So were the other laws that have, have been fulfilled, and we no longer have to keep those because they have been not only fulfilled in Christ, but they have been uh, obsolete and replaced with the new covenant according to Hebrews. But the moral law is quite a bit different because the moral law is, is written on our hearts. The moral law is the expectation not only for God to creation, but also from nation to nation to person to person. 
uh, all countries say do not murder, right? There are a lot of stipulations with the king. Anyway, I hope that's helpful. Just understand that. We can go down that forever. So why live for God if it's a unilateral covenant? Okay, we're in a unilateral covenant. It's not based on our goodness that uh, seals our relationship with God. Why live for God if it's a unilateral covenant? Well, it's the same concept of why love my parents if I didn't get to choose them. Right? Why would I love my parents if it was a one-way decision? Like uh, we're having a, a little boy named Titus. He didn't get to decide that we were having a child. And, and in a real biological way, Kayla and I did get to decide. We said, hey, we want to have a child. Let's try to have a child. We got to have that child. It's a unilateral decision. We did not We did not talk to Titus about doing this before. Does Titus need to love us? Well, of course. He's our child. In the same way, it's a unilateral covenant. You're a child of God, an heir to the covenant. Well, of course, we live for God because he is our father. We love him. We commit to him. That's an easy answer that I hope maybe will be sufficient for your life groups. Then for our life groups, how can then we explain the importance of this to them maybe in a very concise way that, you know, they might bring it up. They might say, what is the bilateral, unilateral? What does it mean? What is a quick, maybe one sentence summary of what you're trying to get across for us life group leaders? Well, what makes it important? Well, it makes it important and like why even li- why even li- live for God if it's unilateral? Because we love God. I mean, that's what I was trying to, to get to is like well, we live for God in this unilateral covenant because he is our father. Right? And that's the distinction that we make from the bilateral, which was a you do this, I do this. You scratch my back, I scratch yours in a very simplified non-spiritual terminology. Uh, but the unilateral covenant is I have fulfilled this uh, because you can't. And so it's not only a, an act of love to a father, it's an act of indebtedness to a God who who did something that we could never accomplish on our own. So it had to be unilateral for it to work anyway. Mm. Mm. All right, as we mm here, uh, we lead to point number two, which is to eliminate idols in your life. And Pastor Hayden, you lovingly put on the boxing gloves and gave us a hug, but then said, hey, we need some work to do to make sure, unlike the kings of Israel... Mm-hmm who even though there's some good ones, I think nine nine times out of ten, I think Josiah was the only other one, they tolerated and did not tear down the high places of false worship, which continually led Judah specifically to worship false gods and lead to a life Mm -hmm. away from God. So with the elimination of idols in our lives, what is one or two things that we need to help communicate to our life group leaders, if it's the importance of it or the practical nature of it. When you're sitting in your your life group as a leader, you, you must look around and in great love and care for those who are in your group and understand that they deal with idols. They struggle with idols. And even if they're doing a fine job tearing their idols down, if they're maturing and growing in their faith, they're still struggling. So both giving space in your life group to talk about idols and to bring up idols and then even in these application questions they, they actually help you guys uh, do that uh, you know what is how do you define an idol biblically how can you identify the idols what does it look like to eliminate those idols so we give a step-by-step of in your life group of saying hey save space let's get these idols out on the table and let's get rid of them so you, you're gonna need to do that and, and that's uh, that's how you're gonna, you're gonna be helpful but also not trying not trying to soft pedal this so much that you let everyone get away with saying there are no idols in their lives. I mean, I think that's the most unhelpful, unwise, hurtful thing you can do to your group 
is to get out of that question with nobody wounded. <laughs> Maybe you know, and that's the same thing in uh, nine and eleven. I, I said it in different kinds of ways at the nine and eleven, but I mean, no one left unscathed when it comes to idols because we all are programmed to worship, and if we're not careful, we will find ourselves worshiping things that aren't God. How can we help our life groups see the gravity of sin that is idolatry? I mean, understand what it is that, that idolatry is a thing that separated mankind, humanity originally from God. Is that even an Adam there beside her could be like God. The, the, the idol, the idolatry of not looking to God, of, of desiring something that wasn't him, something that God created other than desiring him alone. It's the same thing that we do. And the dangers of this are manifold, I mean, spiritually, but even practical. I can't, I can't help to think of it. Drugs, okay, let's just talk about a drug. Let's talk about meth, okay? Uh, when you desire that, and you get addicted to meth. Let's even talk about that. You start trying meth, and you get addicted to it, don't you? You get addicted to it, then what? You need more. And you your lifestyle, you have to make money to get it. But you live in such a stupor your whole life, you can't keep a job. And you're trying to then do all kinds of things to get money, whether illegal or not illegal. Uh, and you're trying to pay, pay, pay. Your whole life becomes consumed with this. And not only that, it's deteriorating your, your health as it is. And it's illegal. It can put, get you in prison. You see what I'm saying? That's just a, that's a simple, uh, culturally relevant slash easy way to say that's an idol. But it's also bad for you. Well, that's all idols. Sometimes you just can't articulate them in a negative way that you can drugs. All idols are bad for you because they take your attention and your spiritual health at minimum uh, at, at, in, in captivity. And so, yeah, most idols do create physical problems, but even the ones that don't keep you in a spiritual stupor for uh, decades until you can at least acknowledge them and remove them from your life. And something to remember is <clears throat> we are made up of flesh and spirit, and so sin is going to affect both. Right. I mean, think of, I mean, think of something. Uh, pornography. I mean, that's a good one for men, right? Uh, pornography. Pornography. Uh, you're addicted to it. It's an idol. I desire that. Does that impact your marriage? Yes. All right. Does it impact your parenting? Yes. Does it impact your spiritual life? Oh, yes. I mean, I, just, look, there's this, that. Okay. And I, we can keep going to these practical things in life uh, over and over and over again. Uh, why? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we keep doing it. They just want you to see that idols are a real thing and they are tearing people apart. And so as a life group leader, you've got to, you've got to help them get, get into those areas that they don't want to touch right now. And one way to do that, to help them see their idols, this is taken from one of the resources that we're going to share. It's called Gospel Treason by uh, Brad Big, Bigney. And he lists off questions of like, hey, these are questions that are going to help you see potential idols or things that might lead to idols or, in fact, are idols in your life. Simple qu qu uh, practical questions like this. You'll sacrifice for it. Mm -hmm. You'll spend time time on it. You'll spend money on it. You'll talk about it because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You'll protect it and defend it. You'll serve it. You'll perfect it. You'll think about it. You'll worry about it. You'll get angry when someone blocks you from it or mess with it, messes with it. And you'll build your schedule around it. Just simple facts and questions to ask yourself, okay, am I building my schedule around this? Now, and think about that. And, and that's, of course, you went right into the negative because idolatry. Now, ask those same questions in your relationship with God. I love God, so I? Sacrifice for it. 
Sacrifice for him. I love God, so I... Spend time with him. And? Spend my money on him. And? I talk about him. And? I'll protect him and defend him. I'll serve him. uh, Well, I can't really perfect him. But I'll think about him. I'll worry about him. In a sense, if I care about his honor. I'm concerned with God I get angry when someone hinders him and blocks me from him. I'll build my schedule around him. Oh, man. You see, that's why you're meant to worship. And those very things that, that show you that you're prone to idolatry are the same side effects that should help you also see this is how you should worship God. Boom. Boom shakalaka. Use that for your life group. That'd be great. Use it. <laughs> All right. Well, after we wound our life group, we have an opportunity to heal our life group. And this is going to come from point number three, which is patiently await our vindication um, based on God going to come to fulfill his all of his covenants, specifically Davidic covenant. And when he returns, we will finally receive what we've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Pastor Hayden... There's a lot we can talk. You can talk about the you know the the full fulfillment, uh, full fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Maybe the life group leaders might need to know about that, or just even how do we even do this? How do we? How is vindication and glorification even related? You know, so what do we need? A to simple a simple way to put this. I have a lot of non Christian family, okay, and I'm a pastor, so it's already awkward for them when we get together. Uh, but I remember getting into ministry. They ask, "Why are you doing this? Why are you Why are you going to be a pastor?" You're not going to get paid much. Uh, it's a it's a difficult life. Like why why are you giving yourself to these kind of adventures? You know, and uh, at the end of the day, I didn't feel like I had to validate or vindicate myself in the moment to try to appease their uh, misunderstanding or ignorance of the realities of of God. Uh, but I sat in that moment, realizing that you know what. There's going to be a time, regardless if my biological family, many of them decide to, to, to follow Christ or not, that I'm going to be vindicated, even in their eyes, that they're going to say, oh, that's why, that's why he did that. Like, and so it's looking at it that way. It's like, man, this isn't just about the, this isn't just about glorification or salvation. It is, it's all about that, but it, it's also about the, the things and the reasons you do things today. Somebody cuts you off in, in the road and you don't honk at them and you don't cuss them out. Why? Because you're going to be vindicated. There's going to be a reason you don't do it. There's going to be a reason at the when, when Christ comes back and vindicates us that you didn't do all the things that everyone else thought you should have done or that they would have done because they weren't thinking about God. You're going to be doing a lot of things that will need vindicated because you're going to be living in such a way that other people don't understand. And you may be ridiculed. You may be at least looked at sideways because they're doing a lot of things that that people are going to find strange or define you know, disdainful. Disdainful. Is that, that's not a good word for that. But they're going to find a lot of things that you're, you're saying, okay, that's, that's crazy. Well, great. Don't sit and try to vindicate yourself in all those. Understand that you will be vindicated. And so, therefore, live, eliminate idols, trust in the God's covenant promises, and wait your vindication. And while you're waiting on it, you're running in the promises of God because you're going to be vindicated. That's the beauty. And I think the freedom of the Christian faith is we're going to be vindicated. I don't have to, I don't have to be uh, the, the lawyer. I don't have to be the judge trying to be my own uh, vindication. I will be vindicated by, by the judge. I will be vindicated by my advocate by Christ. So I don't have to worry about those things. And you know, the other thing that people have to do in our culture all the time is they have to vindicate themselves. Every time people do something, well, here's why I'm doing it. 
Well, here's, you know, uh, you don't like what I'm doing. Well, here's why I'm doing it. Now, I'm not asking you not to give a reason for the hope you have in you. But what I'm saying is, like, you don't have to be offended all the time and take your offense public because you, you have a vindication that's coming that will be very public. Well, it's even just trying to, th- what some of the sermon series has done is to really slow down and you know, put my shoes in the sandals of the people reading the different books of the Bible, thinking about mm-hmm. the slaves who are in you know, year 286, waiting for year 400 for mm-hmm. them to be delivered. Like, okay, I got to wait. Mm-hmm. But even reading about the vindication that these exiles, they were probably mocked as they're in Babylon, made fun of, who no is doubt. your God? And yet they're remembering this vindication from Isaiah 6 that you brought up. And mm-hmm. this is also in their DBR not too long ago where the Holy Seed is the stump that God is going to remain, even though he's going to wipe out, he's going to use Babylon to wipe out Israel and Judah. He's going to say, hey, but I'm going to still preserve the seed. And let me show you, the king is still alive. So your vindication is still coming. Right? How can we use the Old Testament and even the new, but especially the old, because we might neglect it and might not be able to look at it correctly. How can we help our life groups look at the Old Testament and still see and still say, hey, See how God is vindicating his people and that we have a future vindication in Christ? Well, just see how God deals with people throughout the dispensations of the Old Testament. It's, it's really all about this idea that I've been vindicated. I mean, even look at uh, Abraham uh, and the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. Right? I mean, all of that by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And although it says that they did not receive in a lot of ways the promises, that, uh, but, they, but they greeted them from far off. They saw their vindication. They didn't get to meet it. And just like you may not, you may die before the coming of Christ and not on this side of eternity see that vindication coming. But from far off, you can greet it and you can expect it and you can look forward to it because regardless if you're alive or going to be resurrected, you will see the vindication of Christ. All right. Well, Life Group Leaders, I hope that helps you as you prepare to go through these application questions and to lead our, uh, your Life Group through these. And so, Pastor Hayden, with these questions, what is the direction you want for us to take with these? Yeah, I, I hope you guys have been seeing that I've been doing some different things on these application questions, making them shorter, uh, kind of giving sub-questions to kind of lead you guys in, into kind of specific uh, applicational steps instead of making it all one lump question. So I hope that even like question number three, talking about idolatry, how do these verses help you define? So we're out there, we're looking for a definition. That's it. We're just looking to define it. Question number two is how do you identify the idols that you've now have a definition from? And then next it says, how does, how do you eliminate idols? What does that consist of in the life of a Christian? So we've defined them We've identified them. Now let's eliminate them. So I, I'm trying to help you guys do step by step. And if you answer that all in one, that's fine. I'm just trying to help you guys uh, lead your life groups by being more pointed and specific. So people don't just become commentators, but they become applicators. One of the hardest things to do when you just ask one question is people are uh, people just want to commentate on the question and they don't want to apply it. And so that's why I parse these out into three questions because it says literally question two, how can you identify idols in your own life? It's like, well, how do you, you can't commentate on that because we already finished that in the first part. This is now, all right, how do you apply this? So I hope that's helpful for you guys. That's just one of the questions, but hopefully that may help you guys a little bit as you are leading your group. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, what are some resources that helped you in your study of the text uh, for this week and or any other resources that you have for us this week? Yeah, I was talking to uh, one of our life group leaders outside uh, after service, and one of the books that we talked about that also talks a little bit about idolatry 
is uh, the Ken Sandy's book, Resolving Everyday Conflict, that we have in the bookstore. I think that's a really good one. Uh, that's going to help you understand a little bit about idolatry, a little bit about proper worship, a little bit about how to deal with the conflict in, in your marriage, in your life, uh, in light of true worship to God. And, and you brought up that other one, Gospel Treason, by Brad Bingney, uh, is, uh, is one I'm reading. A great one uh, for you guys uh, as you're trying to help your people understand uh, the problem of idolatry, which is the problem of creation. And use that book to your advantage. Read it yourself and be convicted by it and encouraged by it. But this is a great resource for your life group, for people who are genuinely struggling. I don't know. I just don't know how to look for the idols or maybe the more prideful person. I don't think I have very many idols. Give them this resource and God uses Bragg Bigney to really humble the reader, but also encourage them in the right direction. So I would even, I would highly recommend that book to anyone. All right, Life Group Leaders, uh, we have some announcements. Prayer night on October the 16th. Woohoo! We really do want to fill that, uh, fill that auditorium up with uh, a lot of souls who want to pray. You know, today we had the most people that our church has had, I think other than a Easter service, only by one person. That's right. So we had 415 people at church, and, you know, that's a stewardship, and we have a continual stewardship as God continues to grow this place, and we need to be a praying church. You know, we, we need to be spiritually prepared for what God's doing, and we want to invite you and your life group to come pray with us on October the 16th from 5 p.m. to 6.30. We have a women's breakfast on October the 22nd. Uh, Candace Jacobson is teaching on James chapter 3. Woohoo! And we're going to be... Uh, having the gals here at the church fellowshipping and jumping into God's words. We want to invite you to that. Make sure that you and your life group are there to encouragement. I know our gals love these things, and uh, that's because they should. They need community. They need fellowship. So don't miss the opportunity to invite your gals to be a part of this. Uh, and then Compass Kids Christmas Choir is, uh, registration's almost closed. So you go 10 more days to register for that. Uh, and uh, they are doing rehearsals as we speak. So Yeah, this wrapped up. And uh, just as an encouragement, talking points for your life group is tell the life group, the kids' choir is not for your their kids necessarily. It's about teaching them how to exalt God. It's about right. God. And this is a great opportunity for them and your family, your kids and your, your their families, to reach their families and friends to say, hey, yep. come to church because Pastor, Pastor Hayden, are you going to be preaching a message from the Bible? I will be preaching and so there's from, an, the, from the Bible. And there will be an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed and for these people to hear. And the good news is people have been getting saved, aren't they? We've not? had a lot of people getting saved here at our church recently. I just want to give you guys that encouragement. I mean, so much so that we are actually anticipating maybe doing another baptism service before the end of the year because so many people are getting saved. So be praying for that and for more salvations. Finally, Life Group Leaders, we have a meeting on October 23rd after the 11 a.m. service, so be sure to put that on your calendar. There's some big things on the docket for us to be talking through. Huge. Huge. So just uh, be there. We would love to uh, celebrate what God's doing, give some encouragement, some exhortation, and uh, share a meal together. All right, guys, we will see you soon. Mm-hmm.